Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. This is the last week of our month-long anniversary celebration. We've got two more episodes this week that might seem unrelated at first, but I think they actually have a common theme about seeing the whole planet as your home, exactly where you call home and all of these things that I wondered so much when I was younger. My first guest this week is Jada Yuan. I've known Jada for a long time, ever since we first opened up Momofuku Noodle Bar in 2004, and she first started writing for New York Magazine. Actually, the first time we ever met, I was at a party or an event related to some new restaurant opening, and she asked me a quote for a New York Mag article that she used to write, and uh, I used to get a little too drunk at these things, so I was definitely tipsy. She asked me something, and I don't remember what I told her the next morning when I woke up, And I called her the next day to say, can you please retract anything if I said anything stupid or crazy? She was really generous about it and told me I didn't say anything too terrible. Anyway, that's how I know Jada. Throughout the years, she's worked just about every kind of position at New York Mag. Over 17 years, she basically wrote every kind of article you can imagine. And then last year, she landed a crazy dream assignment with the New York Times. Every year, the Times publishes a list of 52 places to go. It's one of the most popular features they do because everybody scrolls through the list to see how many places they've been to or daydream about going to all of them. But nobody really goes to all 52 places. But then the Times did something genius, and they decided to send one person to all of them, and that one person was Jada, who beat out 13,000 other applicants. A very coveted role. When I heard this, I was like, I have to talk to Jada, especially when she got back to America. It's totally coincidental, but Memorial Day weekend just passed, and everybody is probably starting to think about summer travel, so it's a perfect time to talk to someone like Jada. She has all these amazing insights into the places she went and the things you should do if you're traveling somewhere for the first time, especially if you're alone or if you're alone and a female traveler. On Thursday, we'll talk to someone who'll explain why we might be running out of opportunities to travel and why air travel isn't very responsible, environmentally speaking. I really enjoy talking to Jada, and it's a sort of wandering, meandering conversation about where she was, travel tips, and the sort of the joy of traveling alone, something that I had. And, well, I I would say those days are done for me. But when I was younger, it's something that I enjoyed a lot to sort of slow down and to discover something on my own, whether it was in Europe or whether it was in Asia. It's something that I truly enjoyed doing. And to sort of live vicariously through what Jada did sort of gave me all the feels that I need to think about, right? The world at large and uh, my place in it. Anyway, I'm talking too much. I do think, though, you should get out there in the world 
it's so important to realize just you're a small piece of a giant puzzle and that you should be engaged with the world at large. You should see how fellow people eat and live, and you will learn about yourself when you sort of distance yourself from what you are familiar with. You will realize you have so much more in common with everyone else in the world than you think. And uh, for that, I do encourage you guys to all the travel. Anyway, I'll shut up. This is my conversation with Jada Yuan on a return back from 52 places in 52 weeks for the New York Times. You sort of rose to the ranks at New York Mag over the years, right? And you wound up doing like profiles and stuff. Yeah, and then the last time we talked was uh, for the profile I was doing of Aziz Ansari. Yes. Yeah. And what happened? Like that seemed like the dream job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's the dream job, but seventeen years. Was yeah. it 14, 17? 17. I mean, I, I wasn't doing the same thing each. No. So I did profiles for probably maybe five or six years. And, and, and I was always reading your byline. You'd always be in a different role every couple of years. Yeah. And it seemed like you did almost everything except like reviewing restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would have been terrible at that. It was a really great job, but people get burnt out on profile writing. Um, a lot of profile writing is you go and you talk to someone really interesting and famous for two hours. And then you spend like the next two weeks of your life obsessing about this person, like transcribing their words and like thinking about how to frame them and reading everything that's written about them. And it's a very like one-sided relationship. And then you almost never hear back from the person. And so I don't know, like the glory of it just was sort of waning on me. I think that I wouldn't say this about every celebrity, but I think like a lot are narcissists and like it's hard to be around narcissism a lot (laughs) and to like actually have it sort of consume your life as you're trying to write about people. Yeah. So then I applied for I saw a job listing. Yeah. Well, before that, (laughs) has anyone that you profiled you're like, they're much better as a person than I thought they were going to be. And I would like to hang out with them again in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my last year, I... I profiled both Jenny Slade and Elizabeth Moss, and I felt really connected to them. And I would have hung out with either of them again. Um, like Melissa Leo was kind of cool. I, she's very fiery and intense, but I think she's a kind human being. Um, so all celebrities aren't bad, but most celebrities are worse than you think they are. <laughs> well, they're just guarded. It's like it's really hard to be around people, and you're you're trying to probe little tiny bits of information out of them. and How like, frustrating is that for you, <laughs> right? Like when you're interviewing celebrities or just they give you the same boilerplate response or they just don't tell you anything that you need, but you know that there's more there. I mean, there are ways of getting around it. I, I have a friend, Vanessa Gregoriatis, who's really just very good at getting the answer. And, and what she taught me to do is just to be really upfront and be like, Look, we both know we're playing this game. So how about like you give me a little bit on this and like I'll give you a little bit on this. <laughs> like I was like, I like I need you to say more. <laughs> Sorry. Like you know that you have to say more. Like no one's gonna read this. You want people to read this so that like they'll see your movie, right? <laughs> so do you think you think it's beneficial to not be media trained and just to be yourself? Or they should just like you know what I mean? It's like such a weird thing to say. Yeah, I don't I've been through media training myself multiple times and it just goes in one ear and out the other. I just don't, it doesn't work for me. And I think that you just have to be really honest. Why is being yourself so fucking hard for people? 
<laughs> well, I think it's 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 being yourself in front of an audience. Just talking to me as a reporter, you're reaching an audience of you don't know how large. Mm. A quote that you said just in passing could be passed around everywhere. Like the Jenny Slate article that I did, I thought it was this it was this really great story of her right after her breakup with Chris Evans and like of course, the only quotes that anyone looked at were the ones where she was talking about their relationship. So the internet is an audience of millions. Right. And the people who read your articles are the people who are actually just clicking on the Us Weekly recap of like whatever the article is. <laughs> Does that give us any hope for <laughs> humanity? Like people aren't reading anything Well, anymore? podcasts. I think that there are a lot of venues out there where you can be heard in your entirety. Which is why I wanted you on this podcast, <laughs> because if you don't know, what is exactly that you did for the New York Times, the, the title of it? It's called The 52 Places Traveler. So I was the first. There's actually a second who is on the road right now. Hold on. We got coffee. Which one's for? Oh, you want a coffee? Oh, I'm good. I actually like stopped drinking coffee on the road. You know, I just started picking up drinking coffee. But yeah, don't do it. You know what you, I've realized? How it's, many routines do you need in your life? How many like? No, no, no. I don't drink it like that. I just I don't know why, but I don't know why I didn't get in the coffee business because it's cocaine. <laughs> it's regulated cocaine. It's crazy that it's sold like doesn't, as it is. Doesn't it's everybody crazy. James Murphy? Doesn't he have a coffee business? I don't know. Everybody that's cool has a coffee business. <laughs> David Lynch has a coffee business, I think. <laughs> Have you ever seen a David David Lynch's movies? Like my favorite part about watching them is seeing like these little subtle digs he does at tea. There's always like some time when a character like goes off about how great coffee is and how much tea sucks. <laughs> I think tea is so underrated. I'd rather drink tea than coffee, but it just is. And also, I don't like nice coffee. Yeah, I want like crappy dollar coffee this is too fancy this is it goes with your brand you're good <laughs> <laughs> but as a whole I, i'm starting to drink caffeine i don't know why but uh i digress but you were doing 52 places to travel in 52 weeks so basically the new york times does a list called 52 places to go every year so it's the places that they think are the travel destinations that are hot or like there's a reason to go. Maybe there's like a new train that makes it accessible to get to this really remote place or there's an anniversary celebration. When I was going in 2018, it was the anniversary of the armistice for World War One. So like a lot of countries declared independence the day after that and they were all having independence celebrations. So in like Lithuania and Estonia and in the Czech Republic, like those sorts of things. And the travel editors had been scheming this for a while, which was that they would send one person to go to all 52 places and do some sort of like, what is it actually like on the ground? And I saw this job listing and I... Did you already quit New York Mag? No, no, no. It was I was literally just reading the newspaper online and <laughs> this article popped up as one of the top 10 most popular articles. The job listing popped up as one of the top 10 most popular articles of the New York Times, which means that like a fuck ton of people were applying. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know that until I I looked at it. But was I mean, it a, like applying to college? It wasn't that hard. I like made, I had to make a resume. I hadn't made a resume in the entire time I'd been at New York Magazine. Um, so it was a CV. And I submitted my resume and I like submitted an essay. And I, I had like, a, I think enough examples of my writing that 
were pretty, pretty substantial. So <laughs> I'd written like three cover stories that year. Did they have the itinerary planned out for you? So the list came out and it was already planned and it was planned with the idea that someone would be doing it. So the destinations were supposed to be warm. They weren't all warm, but like that was the idea that maybe like they'd make packing easy on me. The new guy does not have that going on. He went, I think he went from like Panama and Houston to 40 degree below ice caves in Ontario. Um, But the list. Are Are you sending him tips? If he wants them, he's a pro, so he doesn't really need them. And I, I haven't been to his places, so it's another world that so I. So there was not, a sort of a, a rough plan as to where you might need to go. Well, there was definitely a list of places I need to go, and then they got Kayak, the booking site, to look at how it would be done by a human being who could not go. You know, I think New Orleans was the first one, and then Colombia was the second one. So that is not a great travel plan. How did you plan the logistics? Like, did you buy all these tickets? Like, how many, how did you do this? <laughs> um, we planned a few logistics in advance. I mean, it helped to know sort of the order of things. And the order wasn't always right. What do you mean? Definitely when we got to Asia, there was one snafu that I wish we'd caught, <laughs> which was that I went from, I went to Korea and then China and then Japan and then India. Okay. I feel and, like I've done that route too. <laughs> no, but, but Korea, China, Japan, and India. And it, it should have been Korea, Japan, China, and then India. And like that would have made sense. Right. But instead, I was taking a 27-hour journey between Japan and India. And I just did that <laughs> this <laughs> year. Yeah. Did your plane get delayed? Did you get it, like it, stuck it, in an airport and your luggage get lost? Did they make you like print out a, an e-visa that you didn't have? <laughs> I almost didn't make it to India because of the visa issues too. Yeah. yeah. Did you have one? I thought that I did and they did not have it on record or something like that. Because we were filming Ugly Delicious and I was like, I'm not going to fucking go. I don't care. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm just going to say in Japan, I don't give a shit. So how did you plan all these visas too? Like, there's a lot of work. Like, yeah. when I read your itinerary, where you went, I was getting nervous. I was like, how did she do this? Just on the pure planning level and knowing what countries you need a visa and all the documentation, it's a nightmare. Yeah. So how much of your year of travel was about planning and the logistical nightmare of getting from one place to the other. So in my final piece for the Times, I think I wrote that it was 60%, but I think it was like more 70 or 80. And and I think that any foreign correspondent will tell you that. I didn't really think of myself as a foreign correspondent, but then I started talking to my friends who were foreign correspondents. They're like, your editors will never understand that like 90% of what you're doing is just getting permission, trying to like find someone who's going to help you do this thing or that. I don't know. Do you use fixers? Yeah, I, I have it easy. <laughs> I go in and there's fixers and a production team. And, yeah. And like, I'm so thankful and people that are, and yet still I'm stressed out because I need to like work and get all this shit done too. And I can't imagine <laughs> how you would do it by yourself. Yeah, I did. I So I had a part-time researcher who like moved to London in the middle of this. So, I mean, it's it just, what started becoming a problem was that I did have this one person who was working 10 hours a week, who was sort of my support system. He was remote though. And then time zones started becoming an issue. And Real I would, problem. yeah, and I would be somewhere and I would, it would be in the middle of the night for New York, like almost always, or in the middle of the night for London. And I just wouldn't be able to bounce anything off anyone. So I just had to start 
being like really strategic. Well, it, we were talking about Lucas Peterson, yeah. who was the frugal traveler, and he was always in some weird time zone too. So he became my like number one, like, how do I do this? What do I do? Like, I think like the main thing was like buying a SIM card when you go to a country. That was one so of these are all I have so many. <laughs> I was like, you don't understand how excited I am to talk to you because like I have so many things that I want to like commiserate in or just have a better understanding of <laughs> or just see how someone else does it. It's like watching one of those like like apartment buying shows where you're like, oh, that's how other people do it. <laughs> How did you fucking communicate? So the Times gave me a Verizon international plan, and I would say that plan solidly did not work starting in Italy. Like, it was just like, I got to Italy, and suddenly it was like, hey, you don't have phone service. Because it drops out. It drops out, or it just... And for me, especially because I'm, you know, I'm a woman, I'm traveling alone, I was not incredibly great about choosing my flight time. So I would like arrive in a place and it was pretty dark and I didn't know how I was getting to my hotel. Sometimes I'd like forgotten to like screenshot where my hotel was or whatever. And I didn't know the taxi customs of where I was headed. And so communication became an issue because like if you can't just like pull up a map or you can't just pull up a ride share or whatever it is. And a lot of places I was going didn't have ride shares. What do you do? And the number one thing I would say is just like buy a SIM card. Like the second, you, it doesn't matter. Like if you're already paying for a phone plan somewhere else, just like buy the local phone plan and buy the most amount of data that you can possibly buy. Because you will get fucked. You'll just get fucked. I mean, and and it even happens like even when I bought the most amount of data and I bought everything when I was in India, for example, all of my transportation plans for getting from Chandigarh, which is the city where I was in Punjab to Delhi were falling apart. And I needed to buy a train ticket. And the best way to do it is online. And I ran out of money on my SIM card. So I showed up and I had to buy an unreserved ticket, which I didn't, I thought was like, oh, this is for like people who couldn't buy online. But it's like really where you stand up for seven hours. <laughs> you just like have to like hold onto your bags and hope that like for the best. That's uh, <laughs> again. I'm I'm being triggered because like that's the worst <laughs> feeling in the world because you realize how dependent you are on your phone. Yeah. Wait, so you the other thing is just sort of prepping for everything to go wrong. Um, <laughs> Can you explain that? Because in the restaurant business, I always get upset when people plan for everything to go right. Why would you do that? Never happens. <laughs> yeah. So you're planning a trip. How are you planning this now? Well, so what I'm talking about specifically is is you know that you need to know certain things when you arrive at a place, right? And you can't count on your communication working. So what can you screenshot? Can you screenshot your barcode for your flight? Screenshotting, I think, is the number one thing. So you just like screenshot everything. And then the number two thing is download things to be available offline. So a Google map or a maps.me, which is another offline site, just so that they're offline. And the tracking system in Google works even if you can't like actually search for a destination. It'll tell you what street you're on. Were you ever using the hotel small office crappy printers to print out stuff? If you ever could or go to like Kinko's or whatever to print stuff out? Once in a while. Well, so we were talking about getting from Japan to India. What, what happened to me was I... I was so on it. Like I I knew that I needed an Indian e-visa. That form, I, you probably didn't have to fill it out yourself. That form is like seven pages long and it requires information about your parents' religious affiliation. I mean, it is so in-depth. 
And I had like filled it out and I got approved and I was all psyched. And then I showed up at the airport and I like show them the email copy of my EVs and they're like, oh no, we can't take this. We need to print out. And I was like, I am in an airport. Like, that's where, that's where probably do I the go? best <laughs> advice I can give is make actual physical printouts because <laughs> the email copy does not work. Yeah. Well, you can't expect that airlines and other countries' bureaucratic systems actually function like you think. You know, <laughs> you, have to th- you have to like, you have to like remember that they're all sort of operating. I mean, they still have those keyboards that are from PCs in 1985. So they're not going to necessarily operate in the way that you, you're, you're like, oh, I can just show you this and that's going to work. How did you learn to remain cool? Because my biggest stress case is like missing flights and doing all these things. And logistically speaking, oftentimes things are beyond your control. Well, it, early on, I was not like that. And I think in my previous travel life, I had not been like that. And it came from travel being my life for a year. Like if I missed that flight, I was still going to have to get on a flight. I was just going to have half a day less in the next place that I was going to. So I think knowing that things will go wrong and just life keeps moving forward was was a lot of staying calm. But I think that when I was working off a vacation system where I had two to four weeks of vacation and like this was like a really important and you get to a friend's wedding and, you know, all this stuff like that's when you get stressed out. It's when you have limited time. So. That's a good feeling, I guess, to know that, yeah, fuck it. I can just make the next flight. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, it, and it also carried over to when I was trying to figure out how to pack. That was like my next question. <laughs> how did you do this? Well, a lot of people were like, never check a bag. And I totally get that school of thought. And I understand why you would do that. It's you harder when bags you're... bags throughout the entire time? <laughs> I did. I did, mostly. Um, I had a carry-on sized suitcase and I had a big carry-on sized backpack. Travel backpack yeah and conceivably I could have hauled all of those onto planes and I just didn't I didn't want to like I'm by myself like when I go to the bathroom I don't want to like be shoving two bags inside a stall every time I like move I have to like cart these two things across an airport it just it wasn't I do wish I'd had a little less stuff but it wasn't super feasible for going to all these different climates and never going home and never being able to like offload anything. And then also carrying equipment for shooting things on Instagram, sending in photographs, sending in, you know, I needed to be carrying multiple hard drives, all that stuff. How did you do laundry? <laughs> in the sink, mostly. <laughs> mostly in the sink? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other than, than having a few things that were cotton, which probably needed to be laundered. It was mostly in the sink. Hotel laundry, unless you're in Laos, like Laos is, you should just like, you're traveling around the world, just go to Laos and then like do your laundry there. It costs you $2 and then, and then you're fine. But, but sending your laundry out to hotels. It's a crime. It's a crime. I like, I got, I think I got like a hundred dollar bill in China. Well, I've learned to never use the hotel and to find something online where it picks it up. Oh, that's a, yeah. that is a tip. Yeah. I mean, they don't always have it, but like it's on principle. I just fucking can't spend like $12 to wash a goddamn <laughs> like two pieces of underwear or something. It just makes me so fucking mad. <laughs> yeah. God, the, like my number one thing is like if you are going to use the hotel, it's just like 
calculate the amount of money that you're spending. <laughs> like, make sure because that bill will hit you, and it is, it is it's a, astronomical. It's, it's, it's offensive. <laughs> and uh, I hate it so much. Yeah. I mean, and I got to the point where I, I didn't have special laundry soap. I would just like use yeah. the hand soap or the body wash that was in the in the hotel. I was like, eh, it's going to be okay. And then I carried like a little bit of like perfume or something to deal with everything <laughs> else. <laughs> and uh, wow, that that's like, amazing that you checked everything in. I guess I'm wondering Do how you much- check it's my big debate. It's actually what I debate the most of before a trip is like, how much can I not bring? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, how, what's the length of your trips usually? Well, I just came back from like a three-week stretch where I went was in um, India, Cambodia, I think China, Japan. God damn, where else? Was the weather fairly consistent across it? No, they no, couldn't be because no, I had if you were to bring, going to China and I had to India. bring like cold gear and hot gear and yeah. it was a nightmare. And I so that's why I had to check a bag in. But for me, it's always about international travel and security checkpoints is mm. like a nightmare because I'm always afraid. I've, I've just I'm a fearful person in general <laughs> that I'm gonna miss everything. And um I've learned that you can't really plan the timing on when you're going to go places, particularly like India or where was I? Uh, Turkey. There's so much more security. Yeah. I When I got to Asia, I started missing connections constantly. And, that happens and a lot. You can't, I think you cannot plan for a connection of fewer than four hours. Like anywhere you're going in Asia, it has to be four hours connection-wise. Can you explain that further? Because when people make these travel plans, I don't think they understand and you almost have to anticipate that you're not going to make your connection flight if it's like a 50 minute, which oftentimes it's 50 minutes. Yeah. I mean, the airlines, the airlines put those in their system because that's a reasonable connection time, but you will never make it. You'll never, I, I mean, I had, I had like a two and a half hour connection somewhere in China, I think. And, and I definitely didn't make it. What's the best airport? I really didn't spend that much time in the airports, but Maybe Singapore? Singapore is always, I think, because <laughs> like it's just so big and everything's there. Actually, but I would say, no, okay. I think that any airport in Japan is pretty great. They always have- Haneda is amazing. Yeah, they always have the good food courts. But, I'm talking about Sapporo, food. Have I'm you been to the one in Sapporo? I have not been to Sapporo. The, the one in Sapporo, I could just like hang out there all day. I mean, this is, you know, in my other travel life, not in this. And then I do think that the Dubai airport is That's pretty- Emirates. It's basically the Emirates <laughs> airport. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. But I wasn't able to pick and choose no, a lot. <laughs> no, but like, it's always amazing to me because you fly out of LaGuardia, you're like, well, this is a piece of shit. And then you get to Changmi <laughs> Airport in Singapore, you're like, whoa, even Hong Kong's airport. Like the food yeah. there is so good. Yeah, Excellent food. Yeah. And really, aff- really affordable. But I've never been to Hong Kong. <laughs> ah, how come you like go to Singapore, but no Hong Kong? And I, It you- was just the way that the travel worked. Wow. Yeah. I was... I wasn't in charge of this itinerary, so I could choose little things like maybe this route or maybe I'm going to say that I'm going to spend the night in Madrid instead of moving on immediately to go to Ribera del Duero. Where is that? Whatever you just um, said. (laughs) So I went to, in Spain, I went to this great wine region called Ribera del Duero, and it's sort of competing with Rioja, but it's definitely like the second cousin. <laughs> but it was like, a, it was a beautiful spot and you had to get through Madrid to get there. And I just ate tapas all day and frolicked in fields of sunflowers. It was a nice time. So is it, was it about five days per city? 
between four and seven. And then a couple places I stayed longer. And then a couple places I stayed three days, which was really not ideal, especially because I was, I had to file things. I had to write and I had to take pictures. And You're working, actually. <laughs> yeah. You're like, this is like not holiday. Definitely. The travel planning and the writing and just sorting out your fucking where you're going to be, that yeah. doesn't give a lot of time to just fuck around. Yeah, like dinner was holiday. Maybe like a meal. I, I would try to make the meals sacred time. <laughs> Did you need a vacation from this? I've definitely chilled a little bit more. I'm still doing paperwork for the Times. I'm still finishing up the ends of this project. They'd never done this project before, and I had never done this project before. And um, there's a lot more that goes into it administratively than I think either of us had anticipated. And now, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Simply Safe. Here's why I'm a big fan of Simply Safe home security. Simply Safe is ready for anything that gets thrown at it. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. Say they destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still get you the help you need. Maybe it's overkill. Maybe you don't need to be ready for the worst case scenario every time. But Simply Safe is always ready just in case. That's what makes it great. Now, Simply Safe could cost an arm and a leg, but it doesn't. And that's because they're good people. And I love having security now that I have a family. It's something that I think about more and more. And uh, I love Simply Safe. They charge what is fair, what's right, $14.99 a month. That's it, guys. $14.99 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. You've got to check it out. Go today to simplysafe.com slash Chang. That's simplysafe.com slash Chang. S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash Chang. Simply Safe. And now back to the show. You know, one thing I wanted to mention too, like I love this just to get travel tips for people because everyone seems to think that I'm a travel expert. I'm far from it because I'm still learning how to travel better. Is you mentioned when you land in a place and I'm trying to empathize and imagine if I was a woman going to a foreign country and I was not familiar and it's scary to be a woman just about anywhere it would seem, but let alone a country that you didn't speak the language and you don't know the transportation system. Landing in the middle of the night is often the case when you like fly into a place and I don't think about it that way. And when I read your, I think your first piece about that and you talk about being a female traveler, it caused me to reflect in a way that I was like, oh shit, like, you know that it's different to be a woman to travel alone, but I never thought about those things before. Yeah. I think you just have to know your own comfort zones and and every woman traveler is different. And I don't think that, that everyone goes through watching their back as much as as I do. I even think I'm a, I've lived in New York for so long. It's just sort of a really instinctual thing. But yeah, you just you just know what you're going to after a while, you maybe try not to land in the middle of the night. You try to land during the day and you try to arm yourself with as much information and as much forward planning so that like you don't have to deal with that particular thing of like okay, so I'm I'm I got to the airport in Kigali, Rwanda. And 
actually it's very different from other African airports I've been to. Like there's no one like trying to sell you a taxi ride. It was like almost hard to find a taxi, but I had anticipated it and I had some friends who'd worked in Rwanda and they were like, we're going to send a taxi for you. So you just like have the taxi arranged and you just plan for it. Does that sketch you out even more when you're being accosted for people's services? Like, I'll take this ride or come to this restaurant or... I don't mind it, actually, because it's they're providing a service that I need. What I really want to be armed with is the amount of money that is reasonable for a taxi to be taken in that place so that I don't get scammed. Because I think that that's common. And I got scammed twice on the trip. Where? In Prague and in Bogota. And like, what was the delta between what you should have been charged? In Prague, I think it was at least twice, if not three times, more than what I should have been charged because I I took the taxi and I got the taxi from the official stand, Mm. which is like something that I would normally recommend is you go, you get the taxi from the official stand, but they don't, it's not like in New York where they like say like, this is exactly how much you should pay for a taxi. And then I got, I started walking around the city and there are these signs from the mayor that's like, you should not be paying more than like 450 krona for a taxi. And I definitely paid like 900. So that was one. And then in in Bogota, I was going to get an Uber. And the guy who approached me, he was like, he's like, Uber's illegal and they will pull you over and they will arrest your driver and they will arrest you. And he is not wrong about that. But everyone in, in Bogota still takes Ubers. And so that taxi was probably like two to three times more than what I would have taken. And, and he was right. It is illegal, but people take it. Hmm. That also makes me upset when you get ripped off. <laughs> so are you buying shit too? Because you got to travel light. Like you're going to all these places. How are you not buying trinkets and stuff? Yeah, I didn't. I bought almost none. And then even the stuff that I that I did buy, I look at it on my shelf and I'm like, I am never wearing that necklace. <laughs> that is a gift for someone. <laughs> the only souvenir that I think I, I brought back that I'm going to really cherish are these lacquer chopsticks that I got in Japan. And it was from the Noto Peninsula, which is sort of known for their lacquer chopsticks. And not only are they really beautiful, so they're these just layers and layers of lacquer, and then they cut off, um, so they do about 100 layers of different colors. And then they sort of cut them off and they smooth them. And and so what you see is sort of like like a kaleidoscope of colors. And when I went to buy those chopsticks, they brought out this 80-year-old guy who was the chopstick maker. And we started talking and he spoke English. And it turned out he had spent years living in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is where I'm from. <laughs> it's like, I was like, I am never going to forget these chopsticks. These are the greatest chopsticks of my life. That's amazing. Yeah. So where would you want to go back I mean, I would go in reverse from where I ended. So I ended up in Thailand and Cambodia. And where you wrote your first piece is from Cambodia, right? The final piece, yeah. Right. Yeah, so I I was in Cambodia for about a week in this seaside town called Kep, just sort of chilling and writing. So I was in Cambodia when you were in Cambodia. Really? And I was like, shit, I want to <laughs> like, I'm here, but I didn't I didn't know what to do. Oh, so you and we were so busy with... Um, fucking we're filming there but that's when I was like and then I I went a little bit deeper I was like oh my god I know her and she did all this cool shit and (laughs) I would love to talk to her because it's so rare you get this insight about travel yeah where where were you in Cambodia we went all around uh, Phnom Penh for the most part 
I can't talk too much about it. Right? Yeah. I'll, I'll get I in love trouble. that city though. I think it was life changing for me. Really? I was so happy to go. I was like happy that you were there and I have to go back and probably talk to you offline. But I think Cambodia as a whole, I think is important for people to understand a little bit more, particularly how the U.S. totally fucked Cambodia. Yeah, and and also Laos too. Laos too. I always forget about Laos, but I know everyone. People are like, "I'm going to Southeast Asia, and I'm going to go to like Thailand, Vietnam, and Cambodia." And I'm like, "What about Laos? Laos is really cool. Um, they got really good lemongrass, and their their food is on point." Um, and, and so you'd probably go back to Cambodia and Laos. Yeah, I think I would do sort of a reverse and really spend some time in both of those countries. Actually, see Vietnam because I didn't I didn't get to go on this trip, and then and then just like do reverse through Asia and keep going. I I mean, as a journalist, I really want to go to Cambodia and report on what's happened in some of the coastal towns and that development and and how it happens. And then in terms of I would have stayed in Africa for like a year if I could have. I, it, everywhere, I, w- I went to four different destinations and they were all really unique. Morocco is a harder one for me to want to go back to. It's so beautiful. It is such a beautiful country, but it is just, as a woman, you get harassed in a way that I have... What did they call you? I don't know what they called me. What you mean? I'm Jackie Chan. Oh, <laughs> Um, I mostly like in in Rwanda I was a Mazungu that's just a white skinned person and I think you would probably be a Mazungu too it's just sort of like a general Mazungu also means Jackie Chan (laughs) (laughs) yeah I didn't really get I didn't really get called certain things it was it was in India that I got my picture taken constantly like no I was like a celebrity I was like a celebrity everywhere I went (laughs) I think India is not an easy place to travel around. Did you find it to be easy? No. <laughs> Did you find it to have the most insane noise pollution you've ever experienced? Well, I don't know. I was actually, I spent most of my time in Chandigarh, which is known as the most organized city in India. Uh-huh. It was the first planned city of modern India after the separation between Pakistan and India. And so it's actually got wide boulevards and it was designed by Le Corbusier, the Swiss French architect. and So it makes sense somehow. It makes sense. And then India happened to it. Do you know what I right, mean? Right, like, right, right, right. It was like designed in this particular way. And then people moved in with like rickshaws. And I, I don't know if they're even called rickshaws no. anymore. They're called autos. Did you make it to Kerala by chance? I didn't. No, so I, because of the nature of this trip, like you couldn't go I deeper. couldn't go more. It was really rare that I went to more than one place in a country and that I would even go beyond the confines of a city when I was staying there. I feel like if I ever have the time, I need to like, because it just seems so impenetrable, I want to like know India better (laughs) because it was very challenging in the best possible way. And the food was just tremendous, but... Like hotel breakfasts in India are just like the... I was like, I should die now and this will be heaven. (laughs) Where, I mean, we could talk two hours about food. I like trashing American breakfast because uh-huh. it's the worst. Yeah. It's just above British breakfast, <laughs> which makes sense. But where, but the British actually do that roasted tomato. I think that's a you good... You like that? It's decent. <laughs> mm, that, no, 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 no. You lose, it, you lose points for the beans. <laughs> where Where is the best breakfast for you? Oh, well... I mean, I, the most abundant breakfasts I had were in Bolzano, Italy. 
it's this area sort of bordering Austria and God, that was a great breakfast. What was so delicious about it? <laughs> I mean, just like cheeses and cold cuts and like fresh squeezed orange juice out of, I mean, it was just decadent. And also in like the French Alps and Majeve, I, I always had a petit déjeuner that was just like would cover an entire table just for me. <laughs> with like fresh baguettes. Was that, was that your meal that you were looking forward to or was it dinner? Wherever you would go. More dinner because hotel breakfasts are, are generally awful. And oftentimes I would skip them. I would try them once. I was like, I'm sorry this comes with my room, but I am not, I like, I can't even drink this coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then like, I think about those two breakfasts and then I think about Indian breakfasts and you stay at a sort of westernized hotel in Asia, it is the craziest spread you've ever seen. It's just, it's like 15 different cultures and you can get like a noodle bowl and... It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's spectacular. Not all of it is like no, all, not all the same quality. No, not all of it's either, but like <laughs> Asian breakfast to me, again, I'm obviously inclined to have a bias, but... Um, all in, I, I'm not terribly bullish on American breakfast. That's that's I'm, my... I would agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just like this morning, I walked down to your cafe here and I was like, oh, there's a broth. I'm going to drink broth. Like, that's a great way to start your day. Noodle soups. Breakfast. Like, Cambodians eat noodle soup for breakfast. Like, why can't we have that on the regular? Super yummy. And all these plates of fresh fruits. I mean, the fruit was my number one drug on this trip. It's just because all of these fruits, even if you can get them in the U.S., don't taste half as good. 100% agree. And I tried durian. I I can't do it. (laughs) I feel like I lose my Asian status card. Did you? Have you tried it? I've tried it and I I can't do it. It smells like vomit to me. And And it it does. It does. It also tastes good. I can't. I can't. And man, like, I get so much shit for it because I can't do it. I just can't do durian. Yeah. Anthony Bourdain was actually the first person who told me about, he told me about durian and it stuck in my head. I was like, I will never try that food. And then you like it though. I felt emboldened in Cambodia. Fuck. I really (laughs) am embarrassed, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. I just (laughs) can't do it. But all the other, the rambutans, uh, Oh my God. (laughs) You know, that was illegal up until recently to get in America. Really? Yeah. Wait, can we get it here? Now we can, but like I've had it in America, but I remember you couldn't get a mangosteen because it was illegal for whatever reason. Well, I did not realize that mangosteen sinks up your house just on the same level as durian. Really? I don't think so. No, I bought, I bought, I was so excited. I found them in Thailand and I bought like a whole kilo of them. Uh, And then I was like, why does it smell like someone died in my Airbnb? And it was the mangosteen. So many more questions. Wait, because I I know I got to get you to go, but like (laughs) bathrooms. Yeah. Another thing that people don't plan on when they're traveling. Right. Where and how, like, McDonald's is a good place to use bathrooms. Oh, you like, where do you actually go to the bathroom? Yeah, when you're on the road and you're, like, traveling, sometimes it's, like, impossible. Yeah, I mean, I definitely peed in some bushes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, and I don't know how this goes for your listeners, but, I mean, like, as a, as a woman, you start, you have your period on the road. And, like, what do you do when you're, like, on a safari out in the bush and, like... What do you do? What do you, like, I had to start using different methods, like this thing called a menstrual cup, which holds more and it lasts longer, but it's it still doesn't really 
fully work, but you're like, am I going to, is like a lion going to pick up my scent? <laughs> it was like, this, shit. what's going to happen? There was just a lot of finding nature's bathroom. I think <laughs> I trip. If I was in a city, I think if you can go, hotels are really a huge boon to you on sort of like any, any level. Like there's always a bathroom in the lobby that you can find and you can use. Um, and there are so many people coming in and out that they're not going to question. So bars are sort of the same thing. And hotels really came in handy. Like let's say in Morocco, I, we took a cab, we were trying to go somewhere and the cab driver was just like, I'm going to drive you to the city and not to the place where you're going to go. And, and my friend was kind of panicking and I was like, look, I just know what to do. We passed. He had just pointed out a place. He said, that's the best hotel in town. And I said, okay, fine. Why don't you just take us to that hotel? And he dropped us off with all our bags. And I was like, Hey, can you guys call me a cab? And then they called me like the local cab from there. And we got to where we were going, but hotels are super, I like, I know that there's this whole movement towards Airbnb and Airbnb making travel more affordable, but those people aren't going to like let you in in the middle of the night or hold your bags until your red eye flight. I really think that hotels serve a really good purpose. So you were staying in hotels, hostels sometimes? Hostels after I finished the trip, but when I actually needed to do the work, I just, there's no, like the amount of socializing I did in the hostel after, like I stayed in a hostel in Chiang Mai and I had the greatest time, um, Chiang Mai, Thailand, right after the trip. And it was a really fun place. It had great Wi-Fi, really good food. The beds all had curtains, blackout curtains. It was the platonic ideal of a hostel. But even then, I couldn't get anything done. Does, it makes sense <laughs> when you're in college. Yeah. It makes sense. It, it, there were 50-year-olds at my hostel. Like It, it makes sense if you don't have money. Like It, it makes sense if you want to travel a certain way. I stayed in hotels because I had the means to stay in hotels and also because I can't write in a cafeteria environment. Right. <laughs> um, the thing that I always try to tell people is like you don't need, and you wrote about this, I don't pack medicine anymore before I go anywhere. Oh, interesting. Because like maybe Advil, but like I have prescriptions that I have to take. But the older I've gotten and I've traveled, my package of emergency shit that I need has become almost non-existent. So I was so happy that you wrote that, oh yeah, I have a huge emergency medical kit, but you really didn't break into it at all, right? Yeah, I had a kit of three full... TSA toiletry bag kind of things. I had like almost three full ones of those full of things. You know, a lot of it was was preemptive stomach medicine, sort of things that I was like, I'm going to take this before every meal. I'm never going to get sick. And then I just like, it didn't fit into my backpack. And so I like kept in my suitcase and then I forgot that I had it. I mean, I do think that it's important to like have Cipro and some oral rehydration salts, but I could have had one of each. Like right. you just need it for like the one time you get And for those sick. that don't know Cipro, and that's the only thing I carry. <laughs> and, and that basically... An antibiotic, yeah. That like kills it's a everything. universal antibiotic. But you also have to remember that that universal antibiotic kills like everything. I got Giardia when I was in Afghanistan. <laughs> it was really, it was rough. It was so rough. And... How, what did you take to get... Because I didn't have insurance. I didn't have like international insurance. I was just visiting a friend and she went to like the German doctor, got like some $25 antibiotic, but like we didn't get like the counter, bio- like the probiotic that goes right. with it. And I was just like 
taking the antibiotic was as painful as like it was all the and worst. Giardia things. you got from drinking water of some sort? I think I got it from a piece of lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, do, do people know what Giardia I mean, Giardia is it's so gross. It's like it, there's like some tiny piece of fecal matter on like whatever you ate and it just runs through you like You've never... Have you experienced it? Uh, my dogs had it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was bad enough that I had to stay an extra week in Afghanistan because I couldn't get on a plane. One more thing that I would love, because I always ask this to people that have traveled, is if you were in Singapore, did you eat chili crab? So I wasn't in Singapore okay, longer no. than at the airport. Okay. Yeah. But in general, if you're in Asia, there's no napkins. There's nothing. So I always tell people to like bring something. Wet you bring your wet wipes. You bring your... like. Multi packs of tissue paper. Yeah, you always have to have something because there's no toilet paper anywhere either. So that's the biggest piece of advice I can give, particularly <laughs> if you go to Asia, bring wet wipes and the disposable tissue packs. Oftentimes the hotel might have some. Yeah. Or you can get it at the 7 Eleven for like nothing. Yeah. You should always have that stuff on you. Always. Always. No one believes me. <laughs> <laughs> But that's like the fucking most important. You'll just thing. never, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can't dry your hands even in Japan. Like, there's nowhere to dry your hands, and there's no trash cans to throw anything away. Yeah, the trash can thing is so weird, right? But I mean, I guess it was because of some sarin gas attack, and um, that's what I heard. But I lived in Japan in 1999. There still wasn't any trash cans. <laughs> yeah. So basically, if you go anywhere in Japan and you consume something that is disposable, you're supposed to consume it at the place and dispose of it at the place. And otherwise, you're carrying around like no teriyaki eat, yeah. sticks. No one eats and walks in Japan. <laughs> Only tourists and Americans eat and walk, yeah, I found. We're heathens. Right? <laughs> Can you, in your travels, like, are the stereotypes of American travels true? Sure. I mean, I think we have a big footprint. And it's not just American travelers. I think a lot of European travelers do the same thing. And I think Asian travelers. It's, it's, it's just we, we take big footprints in different ways. So Americans, I think, just sort of assume everything is sort of like our oyster. And we, just, you know, and like it should conform to like the way that we see the world. And then you have the Asian tour groups that just sort of come in packs of 60 and like flood a tourist zone and then sort of make it impassable for everyone else to go. But I like, I get why they're doing it. And I had a really conflicted relationship with Asian tour groups because on one, on one hand I was just like really proud of them. I was like, you're, you're seeing all this stuff and they were always seem, seem to be having the best time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they it do also, take over a situation. Yeah. It's like taking over a situation and making it sort of unpleasant for a lot of other people to, be able to it, there just need to be better regulations right. like in, in Cambodia especially like in Siem Reap those are ancient crumbling incredible temples Angkor Wat and there's just not enough regulations within just Angkor Wat being like hey we're going to limit the number of people who can like stand on this particular sacred pedestal because you can do almost anything you can do anything and, and the fact that it's not protected and like it's not it's actually insane yeah <laughs> like you're talking on like couple millennia or a millennia at least, right? Or 1100 or 12. It's very old regardless. You yeah. shouldn't be able to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
just for the record, where can you find all of your travel notes and in the diaries? So if you went to the New York Times website and just looked up my name, Jada Yuan, it would give you my author. And that's J-A-D-A-Y-U-A-N. Like the Chinese money. Um, <laughs> Jada Money. And yeah, if you look there, it'll give you my author page and then it has all 52 places and packing articles. And, and you can, you should read about all this because like you're going to get the minutiae, but I wanted to just get like preferences. Yeah. Right? And then like I have an Instagram, Alpha Jada, A-L-P-H-A Jada, and there's pictures and extra stories. And, other and you were um, prolific on Twitter. Right, I, w- I was Jada Bird <laughs> on Twitter. Um, on, on your travels, yeah, I tried to be. I, you know, I, there are places that I don't even have Instagrams of. You know, I don't think I put anything up from Korea, even though I had like a great mountain vegetable feast that I probably shouldn't put up. <laughs> but it was like about connection. I didn't. The time like, stop for you too when you're traveling. I always find that to be the best part of traveling. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it it stops to the point where. You're like, oh, there's sunset is going to happen. I got to go outside. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, I'm actually weirdly jealous because I would love to just continue to travel, but those days I think are numbered for me. But, but uh, I mean, amazingly, there were so many people out there with babies. So, right. you, and you I don't can, know, I don't know how, I just, just, I don't know how you do that. You just talk to some foreign correspondents. <laughs> like, you just need to talk to some foreign correspondents. They know how to do this stuff. And I can give you names of some uh, friends. <laughs> will do. Um, I'm going to let you go because yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you got to go. We got to go. But check out all your writings. Thank you so much for your insights. And I know that you're probably sick of talking about all your travels. Maybe. No, it's fun talking with you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but like um, you did something that I think a lot of people dream about. But travel is something that as Bourdain's that message of traveling, getting out of your comfort zone is so important, right? It makes you a better person. Yeah, I was so lucky to be able to do it. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without backing, I think. Good old New York Times. Good old New York Times. Thanks, right. New York Times. <laughs> Take it easy. All right. Well, that was my conversation with Jada Yuan. Hopefully it inspired you to sort of pack your bags and plan a new trip or save up money to go to a place you've always wanted to go. Travel is so important to in my growth of trying to be a better person and more empathetic and realizing my place, my very small place in this world and how we're all interconnected. So just talking to Jada was very exciting and to have all the travel tips and words of wisdom from a great writer and journalist. Uh, I think you should all look it up at the New York Times, 52 places to go. Thank you, Jada. I'm going to get to a couple Ask Dave at MajordomoMedia.com questions. The first question is from Emily Lonigan. I know traveling may become a little bit more interesting or difficult now you're with your family and it's expanding. But I am curious to know what are some areas and cities in the U.S., and or abroad that you've never been to and would like to visit in the future. Well, Emily, I just got back from a long weekend, the Memorial Day weekend. I'm recording this at home. And I traveled with my family and my baby, our baby for the first time. And I was like, we're never going to travel again. Man, it is so much harder than ever before, which is why Listening to Jada speak again and the freedoms you have as a single person is uh, something that I don't regret because I did it a lot, but I definitely long 
for it because having that freedom to be able to pack lightly, you know, one of my favorite trips of all time was being able to take a Eurail around Europe, obviously. And I didn't pack anything other than a small backpack and uh, the brothers Karamazov. And that was it for about two months. And that was probably the best time I've ever had. And I was all by myself. And of course I was smelly and uh, I was just, uh, figuring things out as a 19-year-old should, but um, it was a blast. And uh, to travel light like that, man, I wish we could have done that on this trip where we took Hugo out. Anyway, Emily, uh, it sort of answers your question, but um, some areas of the U.S. that I'd like to visit in the future or possibly live. My wife is from the Pacific Northwest, whether it be Seattle or Portland or Vancouver. I think all of that region is incredibly exciting for me, the ingredients, and it just seems like a great place to live and grow up. I'd also argue there are parts of Texas that I'd like to visit more of. Michigan seems to be a place that I don't know too much about, but in terms of food and travel abroad, I want to go back to Japan. I want to spend more time there don't know how, whether it would be the Northern Island of Hokkaido or traveling through Korea again, you know, properly this time. Last year, I was just in a couple parts near Seoul for the Winter Olympics, Pyeongchang. But, um, you know, getting to go to Jeju was beautiful. But I, I really want to do Korea right. I really want to spend time in the Northern Islands of Japan, a place that I have not been And I think, without a doubt, I'd like to spend more time in Mexico, whether it be more of the Yucatan, a place that I go quite a bit for fishing, whether it is um, Mexico City is incredibly hot right now, or not hot, I should say, more and more people are visiting and it's been delicious for a long time. Puebla, I mean, there's just all of Mexico I know very little of, and the fact that there's so many regionalities and different kinds of cuisine and the complexities behind it, I definitely would love to visit more of Mexico. And that's something I feel like would take a long time. And another place that I would like to visit more of and really carve out several months to do it right would be Southeast Asia from Burma and uh, spend more time in Cambodia, a place that I frequented just a little bit for the Netflix show, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, man, there's a lot of places I would like to go and spend more time, not just for the food, but I think that there's a lot to learn. So I wonder if I'll ever get the chance to do it now, right? Uh, now that we have a little one, it's a little bit more difficult, but that's why I encourage all my friends to travel by themselves if they have the chance, because it's the time to be selfish before you can't because of someone else. But we're going to find time. I- I'd like to visit those places you know, Mexico seems to be maybe a little bit easier because of the distance to America. But um, uh, I can't wait to get back to Japan for um, whether it's the Olympics or just uh, every year. And uh, the older I get, the more I I am uh, reconciling a lot of my past with Korea. And Korean culture now is a very different thing. So I'm learning more about it. And I think that I would have to visit Korea and spend more time there like a Yeah. Anyway, I'll shut up about this. It's been a long weekend for myself, and hopefully you guys are recuperating and uh, 
getting some rest, and most of you guys are probably starting work today. Anyway, that's it. Please give us five stars, however you rate this, on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. I am tired, so I'm going to see you guys later this week for a second podcast. Take it easy.